This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Well, no doubt you've heard of a tale of two cities, right? Uh, today, we're going to present the tale of three no's. Cano, Darno, and Hell No. Robinson Cano designated for assignment, Travis Darno, the hero for Atlanta on the field, haunting his former team, and Hell No, Mets fans said after the league's decision to suspend Buck Showalter retroactively for something he himself did not do. Do I have your attention? We will have a play in three acts, and the curtain rises now. Mets in the morning. Mets in the morning. Oh, yeah. Mets in the morning Gonna tell you what the Mets are doing While coffee is brewing Now here's Josh Lewin Well on the field, the Mets lost 5-2 on 5-2 We'll get to that eventually But off the field, there's some pretty big discussion points To get bumped up in the rotation Josh Lewin with you The quick one-line recap of the game If you need it As the Mets started fine on Monday night But just like the arc of Saved by the Bell, it got progressively worse as things went along. Uh, regarding Robinson Cano, though, being designated for assignment, let's just say there are certainly signs there's a new sheriff in town. Remember in uh, City Slickers, they called Billy Crystal Mitchie the Kid when he sat on top of that horse in his Mets hat. So what are Mets fans to call owner Steve Cohen now that he's the badass cowboy? Look at some of what he has done. Lindor extended. Scherzer signed. Seaver statue installed. And now the latest, with about $39 million still owed to the man, uh, Robinson Cano essentially cut from the team. So you mean to tell me winning is more important than maximizing profits? Uh, the Mets are not looking to conjure up a, a phony narrative to try and save face when something's not working. There's now accountability. There's a meritocracy. That, that is a, a reward system based on actual merit. It's a baller move to send Robinson Cano away, but a tough move, an emotional move, explained by the man that had to make a decision on what to recommend it to the owner. Let's hear from the GM, Billy Epler. You know, given the construction of the roster and how the playing time was going to be allocated, um, it put us in a position where, you know, we had to make some difficult decisions. And, uh, um, and ultimately, we, you know, came to the... It came to the point where it was it was it was Robbie um, because we just we weren't going to have the plate appearances as we want to allocate um, them around and uh, kind of utilize the whole bench. It was just it was going to be a little irregular. Uh, certainly not an easy call, but with the available evidence, I think it was the right call. And when you take a big swing and foul one off, I think it's okay to say that's exactly what happened. A prior GM under prior ownership had swung for the fences, bringing in Cano and Edwin Diaz for some good young prospects, famously going the other way. Former Met regimes 
may have tried to gaslight the heck out of us, just conjuring up some reason it made the most sense to keep Cano on the roster despite what our eyeballs were telling us. Somebody had to get cut. Somebody had to go. The Mets, like every team in baseball, had to trim the roster from 28 to 26. That was set up back in the shortened spring training. This was a due date. The other candidates for expulsion... Well, you simply needed to keep those guys around more than you needed Cano, despite how many commas are on Cano's paycheck. Travis Jankowski can pinch run in a key spot when one run can win it on a sack fly. Luis Guillorme is the only true backup shortstop on this team. Dom Smith, excellent defender at first, and he's a lefty with pop who's closer to 20 years old than 50 years old. Robinson Cano is the other way around on that. J.D. Davis, lefty masher. You want that off the bench or in games started by Ranger Suarez or last night's starter for Atlanta, Max Freed. Those are guys the Mets are going to see a lot. Mike Puma of the New York Post tweeted out how popular opinion may have shaped this just a little bit. Probably not a lot, but at least a little. He called it a uh, Twitter is a tiebreak because the, the fans mostly seemed to be sour on Cano. They were speaking loudly about that on social media. If that was the tie-breaking thing, uh, you know, I'm okay with that, if there's any truth to that. Uh, Only one solicited, or I guess unsolicited, word of caution to Mr. Cohen. Uh, This is how we end up with Coast Guard ships named Bodie McBoatface, if we're not careful here. You can't completely listen to the masses. Sometimes the right decision will be an unpopular decision. But on this one, this was the most popular decision I think they could have made, except for in the clubhouse in certain corners, and we'll talk about that in a second. But it, it's kind of funny, right? I mean, had Dom Smith gone 0 for 4 with four punch outs instead of the 4 for 4 with three runs batted in on Sunday night baseball, would he be playing against the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs tomorrow instead of against the defending World Series champions? Is there some recency bias helping Dom Smith in this situation? But the, the other obvious logic discussion point is that thing we learned about, uh, some of us did anyway a long time ago, called sunk cost fallacy. Uh, and, and asked the Orioles how it went sticking with Chris Davis for so long just because he was already getting paid. That is the ultimate example of the sunk cost fallacy. The, you're paying the guy anyway, but what gives your team the best chance to win a ball game? Paying him to play or paying him not to play? The money's already been spent either way. The example that, that always gets thrown out there is if you're at a terrible movie. Let's call it, oh, I don't know, Anchorman 2. I, I wanted that movie to be good so much, but it wasn't. And I knew that about 10 minutes in. So do you stay for the full hour and 42 minutes just hoping it gets better, knowing it's probably not? You could go do something else. Uh, I stayed for that a whole movie, and that is a perfect example of the sunk cost fallacy. I already paid my 10 bucks. I'm going to stay. Would have made more sense to leave. So in regards to the Mets and Cano, yeah, you cut your losses and you walk out of the movie house. The Yankees still owed Jake, uh, Jacoby Ellsbury $26 million when he got released. So these things do happen sometimes. For those of you old enough to have experienced 1986, this might feel a little bit like the release of George Foster. He was supposed to have been a huge acquisition. Uh, eventually, it was just time to cut bait. Those Mets went on to win a, a World Series just fine without him. Here was Buck Showalter on the decisions that were made. Well, and Lopez, too. You know, they're all tough. They're all, you know, um, human beings that you care about. Um, 
lot of give and take. Nobody's going to smugly say it was easy or uh, you, that you couldn't be wrong. It, it, it's one of those things that you usually do at the end of spring training, but because of the lockout, we were at 28 and had to get down. We knew it was coming, and sometimes the decisions get made for you. For instance, Sean Reed Foley uh, being hurt, but this one, uh, you know, we got good players, and um, we can't keep them all. It was uh, – you know, it's emotional. It's uncomfortable for everybody. You think about, you know, Billy Epler, who's been with, uh, you know, Robinson since, uh, you know, really the start of his career with the Yankees. So there's a lot of history there. Think about Eric Chavez. It's emotional for everybody. It was a, it was a sleepless night. Did the you know, permanence of it, because he, he, you know, obviously not a guy who's going to go to AAA or, or be sent down, but a, a guy who's now off the roster and, and off the big league organization entirely, does that make it a harder decision when it's a permanent one? Well, that's not entirely the case. We, we presented that option to him last night. He can go to uh, Syracuse if he wants to, and I'm not sure if he's even, you know, he's going to kick around and, and see what the opportunities are. I'd be surprised if he doesn't get an opportunity, but if he doesn't, uh, he's got that uh, option of going down there to uh, Syracuse and getting some at bats and the game has a way of changing and things come back around but uh, you know we're going to support whatever decision he makes. So the bottom line was this Cano was hitting 195 with one home run three runs batted in in 43 trips to the plate since coming back from the PED suspension that cost him all of 21. He was still in excellent shape that is true approaching age 40 I mean he's a five-time silver slugger with 2,632 career hits, his batting average right now, 301. Actually, he rounded up 302 right now. And I'm glad he'll still have that three something on what could have been a Hall of Fame plaque, by the way. The two PED suspensions will likely cost him. But 16 years, five Silver Slugger awards, world champion. These are really nice resume points otherwise. David Wright retired just shy of 300 because he had gotten hurt and slowed down at the end of things. Same with Dustin Pedroia in Boston. Carl Farillo, the old Brooklyn Dodger, ended his 15-year big league career with a batting average of 29944. One more hit in 15 years. He could have told his grandkids he was a 300 hitter. Bake McBride and Rico Cardi were both at 2992. Joey Votto's got to watch out. He's sitting on 2996 right now for a team that may never win again. So Cano at 302, that's the same as Buster Posey and Sean Casey, just to name a couple fairly recent players. Better than Frank Thomas and Robbie Alomar, not to mention Willie Mays, who ended at 3014, Cano's at 3018. If Robbie never plays a big league baseball game again, mention that major league hit total would stall out of all numbers, 2,632. That is the exact number of games in which Cal Ripken Jr. played consecutively to set the record for basically being dependable. Cano ends up with a 2,632, and he will forever be known as undependable. He missed those two seasons because of suspensions. If you do the math, it would have been about 2,920 hits right now instead of the 2,632. It's a really good career either way. And remember that the Yankees had signed Cano out of the Dominican back in 01 for $100,000. And when he left the Yankees after 2013, he got 10 years, $240 million with the Mariners. That is a hell of a gain right there. So Let's give Cano his due on his way out of town. He'll go unclaimed by the rest of baseball at his price tag. He'll become a free agent who can either sign somewhere else or retire and start his second life back in the Dominican. And he's been ready for that. He's looking to build a sports complex for disadvantaged youth. That'll accompany the RC22 Dream School that he's got that teaches three- to five-year-olds 
Uh, kind of unorthodox, but he's already gotten into the waste management business down there. He literally wants to help clean up his hometown of San Pedro de Macorís. He's got a fleet of 28 trucks that can be spotted all over town. Uh, he's invested $16 million in a recycling facility. Waste management, that's ironic, right? It's kind of what the, the Mets were forced to do with all of this. If a player's career is in the dumpster, you have to empty said dumpster at some point. But Cano will be missed in that clubhouse. Francisco Lindor was on record with that, said I would not be happy if this came down this way. He's a good teammate, a good person, great track record. He says, I don't care how old he is, his mind is fresh and he can still hit. All of that may be true, but Lindor will get over it. And uh, the Mets, I think, ultimately are going to be happy. They still have Luis Guillorme's glove and Dom Smith's bat off the bench as this season goes forward. So final numbers for Cano as a Met, 168 games played, 72 runs batted in, 81 million in the bank, 39 million more still to come. All right, that's enough about that. Act two in our three-act play today. The Mets going forward for the Atlanta game Monday night without their manager for the second time in the last 10 days. First, Buck Showalter had to miss a game for a medical procedure. Now the league just told him to sit one out because Johan Lopez was thought to have been throwing at the Phillies on Sunday Night Baseball. Lopez suspended two, and what a wacky day for him. First, he was sent down as a procedural move, then he gets reinstated when the Mets had to IL Sean Reed Foley. Then he gets suspended for three games because, well, the home plate umpire from Sunday Night, Jerry Meals, had warned him in the ninth inning not to throw inside on Kyle Schwarber, the man who had hit, what, 11 billion home runs against the Mets these last two years. He didn't actually hit Schwarber, but then he did hit the next batter with a one and two pitch. Wasn't even ejected for that after the warning. I think Meals kind of messed all of that up a little bit, and maybe this is the way that the league sends a, a bit of a message to here's what should have happened. They stepped in after the fact here. But it's weird. I mean, Lopez has gotten in trouble twice now for pitches that never actually hit anybody. Nolan Arenado was buzzed in St. Louis, but that is true, but all hell broke loose after that. He gets three games now for this, and his manager automatically gets one because that's the law. So just to get this straight, the manager got suspended for baseball as a pitcher through that didn't actually hit a batter anyway. Uh, and, and you know what, though? The more I think about it, Buck Showalter is a martyr for any cause is usually a good thing. Buck loves the martyr angle. And here's another log to throw on that fire regarding everyone's against us. That sentiment, by the way, is probably not true. But having the players believe it is true, at least a little bit, that is some kind of 3D chess being played by the skipper in terms of motivational psychology. You guys want to finally get to the game? There was a game Monday night. Max Freed against Chris Bassett. Freed, the young lefty who grew up a huge Sandy Koufax fan somehow out in L.A., even though he was 30 years away from being born when Koufax had retired. I always throw it out there that if you rearrange the letters of Max Freed, you get fixed arm. And yep, ever since his Tommy John surgery a few years back, he's been terrific. Came into this game having walked one batter all year, a whip of 0.92. Chris Bassett for the Mets, also a whip of that exact mark, 0.92. And his ERA, 2.25. Every start so far for Bassett, exactly six innings in length as a Met, and with at least six strikeouts in every one, the only other Met pitcher ever to start his career with four games like that, two sixes in your first four starts, Pedro Martinez in 2005. Well, he would have to take on the Braves, who do have Ronald Acuna back, although he came in just two of 13 so far without an extra base hit. 
The Mets pitching staff, third in ERA, second in whip. The hitters are killing it, too. Second in batting average, first in OBP, mitigating their being 20th in home runs. But it was a home run that figured in early. The Mets were already ahead when Starling Marte had scored on a wild pitch. Seems to do that a lot, doesn't he? And then the power showed up in the third. There is no more Cano, but there is Cana. Right leg kick pitch. Canada high fly ball, left field, pretty deep. Demerit going back. He's at the warning track. He leaps up. It's gone. Home run, Mark Canna. His first home run as a New York Met. Over the 358 sign in left center field, right into the front row of seats in front of the Great Wall of Flushing in left center. And Mark Canna with that blast has given the Mets a 2-0 lead. Wayne Randazzo with the call on WCBS. And, you know, the first 15 hits for Canna as a Met had all been singles. But now he's banked a double, and there was his first Mets homer. Bassett and company up 2-0. But then Austin Riley with a 400-foot homer in the fourth. He's kind of been the right-handed version of Kyle Schwarber these last couple of years. Eight home runs for Riley against the Mets, the most of anyone who's not the son of the former police chief of Middletown, Ohio, as Kyle Schwarber is, if I confused you there. Top of the sixth is when the Braves made their real move. RBI double for lowercase d apostrophe. Travis Darno tormenting his old team, and the Braves would actually tie it after his RBI double. Adam Duvall, the sack fly to make it 3-2. to two. And in the eighth inning for Travis Darno. He supplied the put-away punch. The runner is set to go on three and two with two out. Here's the pitch. Swing and a liner down the left field line. It's hooking, but it is a fair ball. Base hit going into the corner. It's going to score two. Olsen is in. Right behind him is Albies. He scores standing. And on at second with his second double and third hit of the game is Travis Darneau. He's driven in three overall, and the Braves have a 5-2 to two lead. Hell hath no fury like a Mets ex-catcher scorned. Travis Darneau now 15 for 32 lifetime against a team that had once traded for him and kept him around for seven-plus seasons. Does anyone else remember that the R.A. Dickey trade in Mets terms was originally called the Travis Darno trade? Noah Syndergaard was not the headliner of that trade originally. And I love giving some PDA to TDA. It's a good guy, was always heard as a Met. We never really saw the best of him, but uh, he has certainly moved on to big things now with Atlanta. Trevor May is the one that allowed the eighth inning double, and Trevor's allowed an earned run in five of his eight appearances now this year. His ERA is up to 8.6. Let's remember another guy, though, with a good track record who got out of the gate slowly this year. That's Seth Lugo, who's been dynamite the last several games now. Once May gets fully healthy from that tricep strain, I think he'll be good again, too. But May is going to have that tricep checked on today, he says. Let's keep our fingers crossed. 5-2 Atlanta would be your final. Kenley Jansen, the save for the Braves, who get back to within five games of the first-place Mets, who had only five hits, one of them from Jeff McNeil, whose batting average is up to 365, fifth in the majors, and he was hitting eighth in this game. Yeah, they, well, there was a tough lefty on the mound, so the Mets dropped him to eighth in the batting order. He just had the four-hit game against the Phillies. If you look at his spray chart this year, the directions the balls put in play, it looks like a Japanese fan has just opened up for Jeff McNeil. I love a guy who can hit to all fields. So uh, Jeff was a small piece of good news as the Mets fall to 16-8 and with that loss. After the game, bench coach and acting manager Glenn Sherlock spoke to the media about not just the in-game stuff, 
but the before game stuff. Uh, I was pretty late. Uh, it was pretty much right before the game, uh, maybe 40 minutes before the game, 45 minutes, just getting ready to go out and get McCann loose. So how did you guys run the game today? Was it was it by committee or were you in charge tonight? No, you know, we, we talked about a lot of things. Pre-game, um, you know, we kind of go over the scenarios and who's available and possibilities so uh, but we talked a lot throughout the game the coaches were all kind of collaborating out there what'd you see at a may tonight and just overall what what do you think has led to some of the struggles we've seen so far well you know i think i don't know i i I have to go back and look at some of the pitches but uh you know he's a good pitcher and you know the ball that trav hit you know he got a piece of it and hit it hit it in a good spot what was buck's reaction to the suspension uh, that's something you probably got to talk to Buck about. <laughs> but, I mean, we were all, it is what it is. I guess that's, uh, that's baseball, but we were surprised. All right, so the Mets now 0-2 without Buck in the dugout. They're 16-6 otherwise. As for what's coming up today, we'll tell you that after this. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Two games on Tuesday at City Field. The Braves were supposed to have played one of these back on April 3rd, but there were no games on April 3rd since the season started late. So that one is bumped to May 3rd as part of a doubleheader. First game at 310, second one at 710. Charlie Morton and Kyle Wright will pitch for Atlanta. Kyle Wright, by the way, 1.13 ERA, and he's 3-0. Mets will go with Carlos Carrasco, who was not good last time out. And David Peterson, who was good last time out. David's ERA is 0.64. Mets now 16 and 8. They're three ahead of Miami. Next is Philly, then Atlanta, then Sad Sack Washington at 8 and 16. The Wednesday matinee, Ian Anderson will go for the Braves against Tyler McGill. Big drip having a big year. He's 4 and 0 with a 1.93. There's your podcast for today. Hope you're heading out to the ballpark this afternoon or tonight. Let's meet that Mets in the Morning house band. The guy on the keyboards was Kyle Farnsworth. Slapping to bass, Ricky Gutierrez. The horn section, Randy Myers. If you want a guy that could throw inside, how about Randy Myers? And finally, on the drums, Hansel Robles. With Sky Point at the end. This is Josh Lewin. Thank you very much for tuning in. We'll have more for you tomorrow on Mets in the Morning.